Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Altagas third quarter 2020 financial results conference call. My name is Kenzie and I will be your operator for today's call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. If you have any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star then zero for operator assistance at any time. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. As a reminder, this conference call is being broadcast live on the internet and recorded. I would now like to turn the conference call over to Adam McKnight, Director, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, Mr. McKnight. Thanks, Kendi. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Altagas's third quarter 2020 financial results conference call. Speaking on the call this morning will be Randy Crawford, President and Chief Executive Officer, and James Harbelis, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. We're also joined here this morning by Randy Toon, Executive Vice President and President of our Midstream business, Blue Jenkins, Executive Vice President and President of our utilities business and Washington Gas, and John Morrison, Senior Vice President, Investor Relations and Corporate Development. In addition to the third quarter press release, financial statements, and MDNA that were released earlier today, we have also published two investor presentations. The first is our regular October monthly investor presentation, which includes a refresh of our regularly disclosed information and incorporates our third quarter results. The second presentation is a Q3 earnings presentation, which walks through the quarter and highlights some of the key variances and one-time items that we would assume will be helpful for the market. We'll refer to the latter presentation at some points in our prepared remarks, and both are available on our website under events and presentations. As always, today's prepared remarks will be followed by an analyst question and answer period, and we'll remind everyone that we will be available after the call for any follow-up or detailed modeling questions. We'll proceed on the basis that everyone is taking the opportunity to review the press release and our Q, uh, third quarter results. And before we begin, we'll also remind everyone that we will refer to forward-looking information on today's call. This information is subject to certain risks and uncertainties as outlined in the forward-looking information disclosure on slide two of our investor presentations, which can be found on our website and more fully within our public disclosure filings on both CDAR and EGGAR. For the structure of the call, we'll start with James Harbelis walking through the financial results and our near-term outlook, and then we'll turn it over to Randy Crawford to review some strategic and other focus points, and then we'll leave plenty of time for a Q&A session at the end. And with that, I'll now turn the call over to James. Thanks, Adam, and good morning, everyone. Looking at the financial results for the quarter, our diversified business model once again delivered strong and stable results and leaves us on track for a solid year, despite the large economic disruptions that have taken place due to the global pandemic. Normalized EBITDA was $213 million, compared to $173 million for the same quarter last year representing a 23% year-over-year increase. These results continue to reflect the stability and resiliency of our business, strong execution from our operating teams, and tight ongoing cost management. 
We also had a couple of one-time items impacting our results in Q3 2020 and Q3 2019, which we have laid out in more detail in slides 7 to 10 of the Q3 2020 investor presentation that Adam mentioned earlier. We realize that everyone has slightly different normalization practices, and hopefully these slides provide additional color on run rate financial performance and core factors that impacted results across each of our divisions and on a consolidated basis. Excluding the $40 million loss of normalized EBITDA associated with the 2019 asset sales, the 2019 unfavorable impact to the third quarter of 2019 results associated with the Virginia Hearing Examiner's Report, and the $21 million favorable impact to our third quarter 2020 financial results associated with a pension accounting policy change at Washington Gas, our third quarter adjusted run rate EBITDA increased 19% year over year within our core businesses. Our utilities business continues to deliver the stable and resilient results that we and our stakeholders expect, despite the ongoing economic challenges associated with COVID-19. If you recall, more than 70% of our utility customers are residential and approximately 70% of earnings are protected through decoupling and fixed building charges. Additionally, all our jurisdictions, Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, Alaska, and Michigan, have the approval for the creation of regulatory assets for the recovery of any incremental COVID-19-related costs. In our midstream segment, operations remain strong. Rippet's volume was up again quarter over quarter to a new record of 42,700 barrels per day of Canadian propane exported to Asia, despite being impacted by unexpected downtime due to third-party terminal and supply chain, cha- supply chain challenges. And volumes within our Northeast BC assets continue to see positive growth associated with the recent expansions, and we believe we remain geographically advantaged. Normalized net income for the third quarter was $12 million, or $0.04 per share, up considerably from a net loss of $62 million in Q3 2019, or $0.22 per share. In addition to the strong year-over-year growth in EBITDA, net income also benefited from lower interest expense, which was partially offset by modestly higher depreciation and amortization expense and a lower income tax recovery. Interest expense was down 27 million year over year to 65 million in the quarter on lower debt balances and lower interest rates compared to 2019. Depreciation amortization expense increased modestly by $4 million year over year due to new assets being placed into service in Northeastern BC, which was partially offset by fixed asset provisions we recorded in the last quarter of 2019. And finally, we recorded an income tax recovery of $13 million in the quarter compared to a recovery of $34 million in the same quarter last year. The decrease is mainly due to the absence of tax recoveries related to asset sales that took place in the third quarter of 2019. Normalized funds from operation were up $45 million year-over-year to $112 million, or $0.40 per share, due to lower current interest expense and higher EBITDA, which was partially offset by higher income tax expense. Third quarter utility segment normalized EBITDA increased $65 million year over year to 80 million. If we adjust for asset sales, the one-time impact of the Virginia hearing examiner's report on Q329 results and the one-time impact of the pension accounting policy change on our Q320 results, the utility segment run rate EBITDA would have increased by more than 40%. Growth in the base business was driven by our 2019 settled rate cases, continued ARP spending, strong operational execution, 
and cost management, which were only modestly offset by COVID-19-related impacts, including lower margins in our retail business. At the regulated utilities, WGL's normalized EBITDA was approximately $32 million for the quarter, up $67 million year over year. Excluding the one-time adjustments I previously mentioned, the increase is due to higher revenue from the Maryland and Virginia rate cases, which added $6 million in the quarter, higher accelerated pipe replacement program spending, which added $4 million in the quarter, and lower operating costs of $11 million, which highlighted ongoing cost discipline and the execution of our operational excellence model. The latter included an 80% year-over-year reduction in leaks in the quarter. In Michigan, SEMCO contributed $15 million to normalized EBITDA in the third quarter, up $2 million year-over-year due to colder weather and lower operating expenses. NSTAR and SINGSA contributed $14 million of normalized EBITDA for the quarter compared to $10 million for the same quarter last year. The increase is the result of lower costs and higher fixed storage service revenue, slightly offset by lower customer usage. Finally, normalized EBITDA from the retail business was $20 million, which is slightly lower than the same period last year due to lower margins associated with COVID-19. And while margins within our retail business continue to be down year-over-year basis, they have shown much improvement from the lows of the second quarter, and, and we believe will continue to improve from here. Our midstream business continues to deliver strong results despite the economic challenges across the industry. We continue to see healthy throughput volumes across our network, including continued ramp-up in our northeastern BC facilities, and we believe that should continue in the coming quarters. Midstream third quarter normalized EBITDA was $114 million, excluding the $11 million of lost EBITDA associated with the 2019 sale of Central Penn our core midstream business grew by approximately $3 million year over year. Ripit generated approximately $23 million of normalized EBITDA on record exports of nearly 43,000 barrels to Asia, spread across seven and a half ships. While export volumes continue to show sequential growth, they were slightly behind our expectations due to a rail outage and issues within our supply chain. These challenges are expected to modestly spill over into the fourth quarter. However, we continue working with our third-party logistics partners to ensure they are not repeated in the future. Ripit's third quarter results were also impacted by price volatility in the Asian spot market during the quarter. Positively, FEI pricing and the FEI to Mount Bellevue spread rose throughout the quarter, and the rising spot price also pulling the back end of the curves higher with the Cal 2021 FEI to Mount Bellevue strip now in the low nines. Our told volumes also increased more than 20% on a sequential basis due to volume ramp-ups from key customers during the quarter. Northeastern BC assets continue to show positive volume growth, reflecting the ramp-up of customer volumes associated with the expansions that we placed into service earlier this year, which is a trend that we expect to continue into the fourth quarter and into 2021. As we have said in the past, we continue to believe that our platform is positioned for where the market is headed. Fractionation and liquids handling volumes were up at North Pine and our Northeastern BC facilities, which more than offset slightly lower inlet volumes at Harmattan and Yang and Younger. Gas processing volumes also increased at our Townsend Deep Cut facility in Nick Creek, and we had higher inlet volumes at Gordondale. These were partially offset by slightly lower volumes at Younger due to a turnaround in September and slightly lower inlet volumes at Jeep and Peep. We realized an average 
frack spread of $16 per barrel in the third quarter and had more than 10,000 barrels per day hedged at an average price of approximately $27 per barrel, excluding basis differentials. During the third quarter, we recorded equity earnings of $6 million from Petrogas, and as we messaged a couple of weeks ago, we plan to consolidate Petrogas upon closing our most recent increase in our investment into the company. Our $900 million self-funding 2020 capital program remains intact with approximately 75 to 80% directed towards the utilities business. We continue to maintain significant financial flexibility with Altagas's excess liquidity expected to exceed $3.6 billion at 2020 year-end. Overall, we are very pleased with our third quarter results and are reiterating 2020 guidance ranges of approximately of normalized EBITDA of $1.275 to $1.325 billion and normalized EPS of $120 to $130 per share. And with that, I would now like to turn the call over to Randy to discuss some additional key components of our forward strategy and outlook for the coming period. Randy? Thank you, James, and good morning, everyone. As we close the chapter on another quarter, I'm proud of our team and what we have accomplished as we execute on the near-term priorities that we laid out coming into the year. Although the third quarter continued to include economic disruptions due to the global pandemic and other short-term challenges, we remain steadfast in refocusing and de-risking the business. We are taking purposeful steps to build a resilient and durable platform that is positioned to build a sustainable and successful future. As James highlighted, our third quarter financial results continue to illuminate the resilience of our business platform and its ability to provide the predictable and reliable performance that we and our stakeholders expect. Even with the large economic challenges, our third quarter run rate EBITDA increased by 19% year over year after adjusting for one-time items. Within our utility segment, we continue to make strong progress towards our operational excellence model while continuously evaluating the safety and reliability of our operations and attaining our allowed return. As shown on slide eight of our third quarter earnings presentation, our utilities run rate EBITDA was up approximately 40% on a year-over-year basis. Washington Gas had another strong quarter of performance as we continued to deliver on cost reduction initiatives and accelerated pipeline replacement that we have previously outlined. Leaks were down double-digit percentages on a year-over-year basis again this quarter, with year-to-date leaks at Washington Gas down 11% versus 2019. Our data-driven, predictable model has provided the ability to more intelligently deploy capital to drive down operating costs and improve our overall service. O&M costs came in even better than we expected across almost all categories and reflects our improved focus on system reliability, ongoing upgrades, in ARP spending. We also had a large pension cost adjustment in the quarter that will also reduce pension costs modestly in the coming quarters and years. As we have said all year, we remain focused on improving the customer value proposition by providing lower costs, higher reliability, and we continue to expect that this strategy will continue to generate significant customer and shareholder value over the coming years. In addition to the improvements we've seen at Washington Gas, we also witnessed steady execution at Semco, NSTAR, and Cigna with our, each utility providing steady operating performance that benefits our customers while providing the appropriate rates of return for our shareholders. In our midstream segment, 
we achieved record volumes out of RIPIT by exporting an average of approximately 43,000 barrels a day of Canadian propane to Asia, moving us closer towards our goal of reaching our 50,000 barrels a day 2020 exit rate. Cold volumes through the facility increased more than 20% on a sequential basis and demonstrates our value proposition to provide access to premium LPG market in Asia for North American producers and aggregators. Our Northeast BC assets have continued to show positive volume and margin improvements, which reflect ramping customer volumes and is a trend we expect to continue over the coming period. As we have said in the past, we continue to believe that our strategy to provide producers and aggregators increased access to global markets significantly enhances our midstream value proposition. As such, we believe that we are well positioned for where the market is headed over the next three to five years. Our midstream business also added two notable long-term customers during the subsequent to the quarter, including the addition of ConocoPhillips through its acquisition of Kelp Explorations, Inga, Firewood, and Stoddard Assets, Canadian Natural Resources through its acquisition of Painted Pony Petroleum, and new agreements with global energy company that is focused on LNG exports at Townsend and North Pine. Conoco, Canadian Natural, and the Global Energy Company are industry leaders that have long track records for relentless execution. We are fortunate to add them as long-term customers, and we look forward to working alongside them to achieve their long-term goals in the botany. Following these transactions, approximately 87% of our expected normalized 2020 EBITDA will be generated from our regulated utilities and investment-grade counterparts. As we said two weeks ago at the time of the announcement, we are also excited with the opportunity to continue the advancement of our global export strategy through our planned increase in our ownership in Petrogas. The acquisition is aligned with our midstream strategy and complements Altagas existing operations. The transaction provides Altagas with operational responsibility of strategic assets that, along with RIPIT and our existing midstream assets, provide scale, and the ability to focus on the best of both businesses to capture efficiency and improve gross margins that will accrue to shareholders and customers. It also advances our corporate focus on building a diverse, low-risk, high-growth utilities and midstream businesses that is building a resilient, durable, and compounding value to our stakeholders. On a run rate basis, we anticipate that this transaction will be approximately 10% accretive earnings per share approximately 15% of creative cash flow per share while improving our pro forma run rate leverage metrics, despite being entirely debt financed. The acquisition will consolidate Altagas ownership and strategic assets that we know well and are positioned to optimize for the benefit of our company and the broader North American energy industry. We also remain constructive on the outlook for LPGs in Asia. Although there was some choppiness in the spot market at points in the third quarter, Prices for propane and butane have been on a steady rise over the past few months and are pulling the back end of the respective strips higher. Mark demand increases are being seen across the Asian market over the past few months as these economies reopen. Economic activity returns and population mobility rises. Global petrochemical feedstock demand will also rise sharply in the second half of 20, which will again be led by Asia in these core demand trends should remain positive into 2021. As we approach the final month of 2020, 
remain confident in achieving the goals we set out in December of 2019, despite the macro headwinds throughout the year. We are maintaining our 2020 outlook for expected normalized EBITDA in the range of $1.275 to $1.325 billion and normalized net income of $1.20 to $1.30 per share. We believe this is a testament to the resiliency of our diversified business and the purposeful actions we've taken over the past 18 to 24 months, and you can expect the same from us in the years ahead. Now, before we open the lines to Q&A, I wanted to take the opportunity to discuss one item that we received several inbounds over the past couple of months, and we believe it is appropriate to address them in an open and candid manner. This is the idea around Altagas potentially evaluating a corporate split into one pure play utilities entity and another pure play midstream platform. The acquisition of Petrogas further positions the company for those options. Since joining Altagas, I have always said that we would be focused on creating value. And to be clear, in some ways, we're agnostic to how we achieve that feat. And you'll find that same view is shared with the entire senior management team. We are unwavering in our view that we need to do the right thing for our shareholders and broader stakeholders. However, we are still in the early days of executing the strategy that we laid out last year. It is critical that we integrate this business with our own. Until we do, we are not going to consider that option. There is no doubt that the increased ownership in Petrogas further distinguishes Altagas. It makes us larger and more attractive due to our unique value chain. Once we have fully integrated Petrogas and the world returns to somewhat of a sense of normalcy, it is certainly an option that is worth consideration. But what we want to avoid right now is allowing any sort of poverty of attention to arrive on the task at hand. We are excited to take operational responsibility for the Petrogas assets in conjunction with Altagas. The opportunities and options are plentiful and the ability to grow the midstream into something even more unique is our number one priority. There is simply no better way to generate for our shareholders than improving the returns on the money that has already been spent. And while we are immensely proud of what we have accomplished in the past 18 to 24 months, more work is left to be done. And everyone here looks forward to finishing that work. We're also not of the view that the discount in our evaluation is entirely underpinned by a single factor. We need to de-risk the business in multiple ways, including continuing to deleverage the balance sheet. We believe there is a uniqueness in our diversified model in that despite the industry leading rate-based growth that is in front of us, we believe that we are in a position to be able to internally fund the equity portion of this growth on a self-funded basis through the harvesting of the excess free cash flow that will come from our strong midstream business. This is unique as operating a self-funding model is a rarity for most growing utilities. So hopefully that gives you some idea of how we are thinking about the path forward. We are all about adding value, but timing is important and we will be purposeful in the actions we choose. Any actions also need to follow a well-defined strategy that we have laid out but over the journey to achieving operational excellence, we will continuously be evaluating what other levers we may want to pull and in what sequence they may best be actuated. And with that, turn the call back to the operator to open the line for Q&A. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now conduct the analyst question and answer session. 
If you would like to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. There will be a brief pause while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of David Cazada with Raymond James. Please go ahead. Um, my, my first question here, just on Ripit, wondering if there's any color you can provide on the supply chain issues. Um, and I know you mentioned they, they moved into uh, 4Q a little bit. Have they, are you able to comment if they've been dealt with now and then just maybe um, what needs to happen to hit that 50,000 barrels a day target by the end of the year? Sure. Hey, thank you for the question, David. Obviously, the uh, team is doing an excellent job. We reached our, our record volumes, um, but we are clearly working with, the, with, with CNN and some of our, 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 our logistics uh, you know, partners is, is a big key driver to improving productivity and maximizing volumes. I'm going to let Randy address the question you know, more directly. Um, however, I, you know, I will continue to point out that uh, with the acquisition of Petrogas, creating more optionality, uh, we're becoming much more of a logistics company, and that is obviously going to help with some of these uh, you know, particular uh, operational challenges this quarter. Randy, do you want to comment on that some more? Sure. Uh, thanks, Randy. Um, yeah, so Q3, we did have record volumes going through through uh, Ripit, despite some of these disruptions we've had both on, both on rail and marine. Uh, we, we feel that we've uh, got a plan in place to uh, rectify those. And so, you know, our, our goal is to get three cargoes out in November and three cargoes out in December, which will be 50,000 barrels a day. Uh, you know, that's, you know, we're going into winter, so we have to build real re resilience into that value chain, but we are doing that while working with our third-party service providers. Great. Thank you for that. And then maybe just one more from me. A broader question, um, as, as you continue to deleverage and you've got the cash flow lift from Petrogas, um, do, do you see that providing the opportunity to increase spending in the utility business uh, you, since you want to be uh, remain self-funded? Um, just wondering if there's any uh, upside to that, uh, that capital uh, spending plan in the future as a result of that. Well, sure, David. I, you, know, I, you know, our priorities haven't changed, right? Maintaining a strong balance sheet, additional approach to capital allocation, those are key uh, and critical to our long-term strategy. And we have one of the highest rate base uh, growths uh, between 8 to 10 percent uh, in, in our utility, which is, is quite attractive. Uh, so I think that uh, overall we're going to just focus on prioritizing uh, the capital, uh, earning the returns on the investment. Uh, and to the extent that uh, we uh, increase that uh, over the particular years, the driver is really going to be about availability of crews and, and opportunities to continue to improve the existing infrastructure. James, do you, do you have any other comments that you would like to make to David on that subject? Um, just, to, just to put some of the debt metrics into, into context, obviously, if, if you look at where we expect to end uh, with year-end debt and the midpoint of our range, we expect debt to EBITDA to be about five and a half times, and we said on the Petrogas call that uh, once you layer in the additional EBITDA from, from Petrogas acquisition with, without any asset monetizations, just a drawdown of our line to finance it, that'll, that'll come down by another 0.15 to 0.2 turns from a, a debt to EBITDA standpoint. So we are seeing progress towards that stated goal that we've made in the past to get to, uh, to, get to five times debt to EBITDA. Excellent. Thank you very much. I'll get back in the queue. 
Your next question comes from Rob Hope with Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, Randy, thank you for all the color on kind of the longer-term strategic value. Just want to dive into that a little deeper. When you say you want to execute the strategy, looking at 2021, what does this include and how would you view it to be executed? I guess from my seat, it looks like ramping up RIPIT, maybe expanding RIPIT, and integrating Petrogas are the key issues on the midstream side that you're looking to uh, maximize value, and then I guess delivering the overall balance sheet. Yeah, no, absolutely, Rob. Thank you for the question, and I think you characterized it right. We want to integrate this, maximize volumes at Ripit and both Ferndale, uh, continuing to provide our customers access to, to our overall global markets, uh, and integrate this asset, execute the synergies, uh, and create the value. Uh, and, and then we can uh, look at other opportunities. Uh, so our priorities are focused, right? Our mission is, is principle-centered, uh, and we're focused entirely on executing those key drivers that, that you described and that I said in my prepared remarks. And then as a follow-up there, when you take a look at improving the balance sheet, you know, we could see an MVP sale, maybe a Blythe sale. You know, what about the midstream business? Are there any assets or partial assets of, you know, something like Townsend that you could evaluate as a, uh, a, a sale of to, uh, to improve the balance sheet? You know, good, good question. Like, we're always looking at our assets, how they fit into our overall strategy, right, and the integration of our midstream business model. So, again, we think most of those are focused on an integrated platform. A little early to tell, as I've said in the past, around Petrogas. Uh, we think the, most of those assets are all an integrated platform that add value, you know, to our customers and, and to our shareholders. Uh, so I think that... Uh, you know, we'll clearly look at, at, at assets along that line, but I think the primary focus uh, on improving the balance sheet is to get a return on these assets, generate the, the cash flows that we expect, uh, and look at our non-core asset sales, which we described, as you point out, uh, blights uh, in the Mountain Valley pipeline, are, are key drivers that uh, will get us uh, to the targets that James uh, and, and, uh, and we hope to overachieve uh, and to achieving a net debt and EBITDA that is below five uh, over time with that execution. And, and, and quite frankly, we work well with our rating agencies and uh, working to uh, get an upgrade that is, continues to be a priority. Appreciate all the colors. Thank you. Your next question comes from Jeremy Tone with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, this is Joe on for Jeremy. Just Hi, wanted Joe. to ask, hey, uh, first, I wanted to ask, kind of looking at where results have been so far this year and, and compared to guidance, um, seems like results have been strong and, and kind of basically the, the kind of the midpoint or the lower end of the guidance would, would indicate kind of a, a step down year over year. That, that's, that's not really consistent what we've seen thus far. So I guess anything, and I'm, I'm talking EBITDA here, I guess, are you, is it, Fair to think, you know, upper end of the guide is more likely than the lower end, or is there anything else we should consider for the fourth quarter? You know, John, I, I would tell you that we've, uh, you know, we, we stick to our guidance. Uh, we've been you know, pretty consistent uh, in performing on that. Um, you look at the results in the third quarter um, and throughout the year, and really the, the excellent progress that Blue and his team have, have continued to, to to perform at the utility. Um, you know, we, we, I, would, I would be uh, expecting that we would be above the midpoint, uh, frankly, with the last fourth quarter uh, ahead of us, of our guidance. 
Okay, thank you. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then second question for me, I just wondering if you could talk more about the kind of longer term ripid volume progression. I know the the guidance for 50,000 barrels per day by year end of 2020, but I guess beyond that, how should we think about about that um, increasing? Sure. Um, you know, as we've said, John, we, we have capacity at RIPID of 80,000 barrels a day. We've gotten, uh, you know, authority to move that level of product uh, to our certificate. Um, and we continue to work on some of the logistics operations uh, surrounding that so that we can do it. We have the best market in Canada uh, for LPGs in our judgment, uh, and we're giving you know, excellent access uh, to our customers, uh, both to domestic markets, but frankly to, to the global markets, which and we see robust demand in Asia. It's coming back. Uh, so again, I think that as we look forward with the integration of Petrogas and we look at the logistics uh, optimizations that we expect to achieve, um, you know, we'll, we'll stick to our guidance that we've had about the 50,000 barrels. But in the long run, um, you know, given the supply and demand and the excellent markets in Asia, uh, I think you'll continue to see uh, us progress toward that 80,000. But I'm not prepared to give you a specific uh, timeline at this point. Yeah, that makes sense. That's helpful. That that's all for me. Thank you, John. Your next question comes from Julian Demoulin Smith, Bank of America. Please go ahead. I wanted to follow up on on the last question on volumes at Ripit and, and also more broadly at Ferndale. Um, Randy, I know you previously articulated a, a strategy or a plan to move to I think it's 60% told volumes at RIPIT by the year end uh, 21. And I was wondering if you'd comment or uh, speak to sort of how you see that progressing at Ferndale. Yeah, good morning, Joe. Nice, nice to hear from you. I appreciate the question. Um, yeah, absolutely. We, we, we continue to sell the progress, uh, you know, through this quarter, sequentially up 20% for our, our tolling volumes. And I think that's a really a statement about the value proposition of what we're providing to our customers and access to the market. So I think you'll, you know, it's, it's a journey. Uh, you know, we're looking at, uh, you know, continuing to de-risk the platform uh, at, at Ferndale as well. So I think as we get the integration and close the assets, I'll be able to give you a bit more better clarity around that guidance. As I said at the last call, that you know, about 40% of that EBITDA is already uh, fixed, uh, you know, through tolling and, and, and some longer-term uh, agreements at, at Petrogas uh, more broadly. Uh, so, again, I think that at the end of the day, providing open access, you know, giving our producer customers uh, access to uh, to really valued markets that they have not been able to access uh, previously, which is going to be critical for them to increase volume. So, you know, the, the shift that's going on, Julian, in Northeast BC with some of the larger uh, upstream players uh, through the consolidation, uh, I think, is going to be a lever that we'll be working with to provide them access to more tolling. So early discussions around butane and propane, but uh, directionally, um, I'm, I'm upbeat and positive. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Um, and just uh, shifting gears to the utilities business, if I can, um, as part of the, I think you reported a $16 million uplift at WGL year over year. Can you quantify or speak to uh, what what proportion of that was due to the lower operating costs that you reported? And then also maybe speak to the composition of, of those operating costs, where you saw the most savings and where potentially you see those um, as being sustainable going forward? Yeah, Julian, 
excellent performance as as you saw this quarter with the utility as you as you look at the components of those of those values about 10 million dollars in the quarter was operating cost reductions the others were the impact of previous rate cases offset by some late fee revenues that we were not allowed to bill through the covid you know in terms of sustainability primarily here we're investing our smart capital investments into our infrastructure that's driven down the incoming leak rate the outstanding leak balances so that's contributing about 20% of that value overall you know cost that we're looking at it in every aspect of our business while focusing on reliability is you know employee activities staffing is down some of the planned additions that we have had because of the activity levels being reduced so I will tell you that you know we see these as sustainable and repeatable and we're going to build on that you couple that with some successful resolutions in our Washington DC rate case in our Maryland rate case that we would expect into next year really positions as well that couple of their ongoing cost and customer service improvements to earn our allowed return as we've guided in the past so excellent job by blue and all the team they're renovating they're reinventing and they're really driving innovation at the utility and and focused on improving service levels for our customers so I couldn't be more excited about the results so I see them as sustainable over the long run okay great that's it for me thank you very much your next question comes from Ben Sam CMO please go ahead hi yeah thanks good morning I wanted to ask your commentary on the counterparties clearly this is a big positive on your cash flow quality as you you look forward here and your guidance into next year I was wondering is there anything you can share on any sort of high-level incremental differences maybe with respect to your anticipated growth rate midstream is there address your question Oh, sorry, it's Ben Sam here. Can you hear me okay? Hello? Hey, Ben. Uh, yeah, we, uh, can you repeat your question? I don't know if we, uh, if we still have Randy on. We, we might have lost him, but if you can repeat that question, we'll deal with it. Oh, sure. Okay. So my question is on, on the, the counterparty commentary you had. You had a, a nice... Uh, Nice boost there. Uh, we've seen Q, a bunch of other folks and uh, uh, improvements in cash flow quality percent contracts goes up. Uh, I was wondering, is there any sort of impact uh, uh, you can maybe share in terms of uh, does your future growth rate uh, change there on midstream projects? Is there more JVs to consider? And then is there anything on maybe any sort of friction on returns or anything else uh, that, that you're thinking there long term for, for the midstream business? Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't seen any any friction on returns. I think the one salient point you touched on that we expect will could could potentially accelerate growth at, at some of our facilities in northeastern BC is the consolidation that's going on in in the basin right now. Right, obviously, some of the uh, some of the acreages have been consolidated in the hands of uh, better capitalized producers, and and we would expect that they um, they are better positioned to to move forward with development plans to satisfy take or pay commitments. 
that uh, that they've inherited through that consolidation and obviously continue to, to grow production. So that's what we're excited about with uh, with the consolidation that we've seen so far. Okay. Uh, and maybe on, since I have you here on the accounting policy, the, the pension plan, you have a bit of detail in there. You, you're booking it to 20 million, bring back uh, some of the benefits of, from, from future years. It seems like what's going on. Is there, is there anything I think one well, in terms of um, future impact on EPS or is it or these utilities have, have trackers that that uh, uh, mitigate or or pass through that and is there any, any other electives you can make on these other utilities you have uh, similar to suspension plan electives? Yeah, maybe I'll provide a little context for the change first, and then and then kind of answer your your questions around um, enduring benefit. And um, so when we looked at when we looked at our pension plan at WGL, the, the asset, the plan assets are heavily skewed towards fixed income uh, products, and and as a result, we we decided to make this accounting change because obviously if if interest rates go up or down, and that impacts your discount rate, and in turn impacts the plan liabilities. This is a, a more effective hedge in terms of how we're treating the increase in those plan assets. So it's an offset to changes in the discount rate, and that's what reduces the volatility in our pension expense. Going forward, uh, we expect there to be a benefit, and, and Randy touched on it, of about 3 to $4 million to pension expense into 2021. Uh, so the, the reduced volatility and the lower pension expense will benefit our, our customers. And then you talked about trackers. We don't have any trackers in place for pension expense. These are expenses that are uh, calculated when we go into rate cases through actuarial studies, and, and that's how we set the uh, the recovery for those expenses uh, in our rates going forward. Does your discount rate uh, on a liability, is that, is that also true up each quarter too then? Is that, is that what's going on as well? No, it, it'll be it'll be based on an annual actuarial study that will calculate those expenses. Okay. All right, that's it for me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Your next question comes from Linda Ezergalis with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Um, uh, asset sales for 2021 and 2022 and specifically I see that you've got about a billion dollars of debt maturing uh, I'm assuming that um, a lot of that would be repaid but I'm wondering what your thoughts are about the merits of refinancing uh, at um, you know uh, extending the term potentially etc Linda I'm going to apologize to you because I think we're having some technical issues here and I and I did not catch the first part of your question um, only the um, the last couple of uh, sentences. Do you mind just uh, repeating that? Because we are having some technical difficulties here. Sure. Uh, it's just around, uh, in summary, uh, just trying to get a sense of your uh, base financing plans for 2021 and 2022 um, beyond just uh, potentially selling assets. Uh, I see you've got about a billion dollars of debt maturing, and I'm wondering about how you balance uh, the benefits of refinancing at low rates for potentially longer term versus repaying, and um, how you know any sort of um, other sources of um, um, you know uh, uh, capital, whether it be through JVs, et cetera, um, might uh, inform your plans. Yeah. 
you know, in terms of the maturities that we've got coming due in, in 2021, I mean, we've been very successful in refinancing maturities throughout 2019 and, and 2020 in the MTN market, and, and that'll be our, our primary source. You know, we've said on Petrogas that we're going to obviously draw down on the facility when it closes, and uh, we will use the proceeds from any uh, asset monetizations to repay those drawings. But with respect to regular or scheduled maturities, uh, we will most likely access the uh, the MTN markets to be able to, to deal with those because um, we have seen attractive pricing and we'd like to, at, at different tenors, and, and we'd like to position ourselves to continue to take advantage of that. On on, uh, on future funding and, and JVs, I mean, we, we like our footprint. Uh, we've already got some very strong JV partners within our uh, existing investments. I, I wouldn't say that there's any short-term plans for us to to change that approach uh, at this point. That's helpful. And I'm wondering when you think about your um, rate filings uh, and plans uh, at your utility level, if there were an increase in corporate tax rates in the U.S., uh, what are your thoughts about potentially when and how uh, you might recover that in your utility rates? Yeah, I think that uh, we've talked about this on past calls in terms of what the expected benefit is um, to make to some of our debt metrics, and we've estimated those to be in the four to five percent range. In terms of future recovery, though, you know, we would we would probably move forward with uh, with rate filings uh, and, and try to try to recover those to the extent that it, it does lead to to higher deferred deferred taxes that that would um, permit us to recover them. When when uh, the tax rates went the other way, obviously. Uh, some jurisdictions dealt with them as special filings, and, and uh, other jurisdictions dealt with them in the context of, of rate filings. So I, I would anticipate that we would follow the same approach. That's helpful context. Thank you. And uh, just um, a detailed modeling question. Um, for your maintenance capex, it's, it, it was um, trending a little bit light. I'm wondering if there might be higher activity in Q4 and uh, what an appropriate run rate for your midstream business might be prospectively uh, in 2021 and beyond. Yeah, so typically uh, we, we, Q4 tends to be a very heavy CapEx quarter for us, both on uh, expansion and, and maintenance. Uh, in terms of a run rate, you know, for the midstream business, we think that $20 million for maintenance capital is uh, is an annual number that, that you can use for modeling purposes. That's that's very helpful. Thank you. I'll jump back in the queue. Your next question comes from Andrew Cusk to Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Thank you. Um, good morning. So I, I guess the question is really where do you see yourselves in the in the transformation of the utilities and what inning are we in? Uh, at this stage across the entire portfolio? And then if you looked at the spectrum of the utilities you own, what are the better performers versus the worst performers? And, and what's the spectrum of the, the respective innings that they're individually in? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll start and then maybe I'll ask uh, Blue to, to jump in as well. I mean, if you look at the jurisdictions that we're in, um, Alaska and Michigan, those, those utilities have been uh, performing at their regulated returns for, for quite some time, and, and they've been there consistently. In, in WGL, and I think Randy touched on this already, we've made tremendous progress uh, from where we were in 2019 through a combination of uh, operational excellence initiatives on OPEX, obviously focused capital allocation, um, and, and uh, 
executing on our ARP capital spend, and then obviously getting caught up in rates. So we have made progress of about 150 to 180 basis points from where we were in 2019 in improving ROEs there. Uh, but but there's still some work left to do, and, and uh, we anticipate that we can continue to move the needle in 2021 and, and 2022, and that will be through a combination of, uh, of additional rate cases that are currently being litigated in different jurisdictions and, and obviously a continued focus on, uh, on OPEX and capital allocation. Lou, is there anything that, uh, that you want to add? No, James, I think you hit the highlight. I think we're well underway at the jurisdictions covered by Washington Gas. You know, a lot of opportunity we think still in front of us, but we've built, we have a really solid base and we've got good momentum and we expect to see that carry forward. You know, it's all speculative on, you know, are we third, fourth inning, you know, who knows. But, you know, there's still some ball to play, but we're very happy, as James points out, with the progress we've made. And then to his point, I would reiterate the, the other jurisdictions, Alaska and Michigan, are performing very well and at their allowed return. So we're very happy with where they are and expect to see that performance continue. And then maybe as, as a follow-up, um, how do you facilitate the exchange of information between the jurisdictions just to share best practices among other things? Yeah, you, you bet. I'm, I'm happy to take that. So this is Blue. Um, so what we have is, is we're organized, obviously, as a utilities division. We have individuals with accountability that reaches across all of those utilities. So our operations, our COO role, for example, and, you know, has accountability across the utilities, and so we see that there. We also have that same structure across our regulatory group so that we take what we're learning and best practices and, and try to push that across. So it's a great question. I think we are structured and have processes in place to account for that and take advantage of those opportunities. Okay, that's great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Robert Kwong with RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great, good morning. Um, just wanted to go back to some statements that you made earlier in the call and, and with the pendulum continuing to swing towards splitting up utilities in midstream, and you've had the transaction in the Midwest earlier, uh, recently here, um, you've got your comments that you, you want to, you know, integrate the businesses as well as de-risk um, the midstream side of things. And I just want to dig into that a little bit more. Um, you've got kind of the $30 million of petrogas energies that you've put forward, and there were some comments earlier about trying to get you know, the ripet volumes um, to your target. Uh, I guess in the grand scope of things, um, what do you see beyond that 30 million given that's not a super material number, you know, if, if you were thinking about a transaction. So what is, you know, the revenue synergy upside that you see? And then what's the risk to actually getting to your target volumes on ripet such that if somebody were to, to look at bidding for your assets that they wouldn't want to pay you for it? Right, uh, Rob. There's a lot to there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, in in terms of uh, in terms of additional upsides on the midstream platform, you know, we've always talked about additional volumes at Ripit and and obviously optimizing uh, Ferndale with very very little capital investment that we feel that we can capture. There's also other uh, volume growth within the basin and and additional product offerings that we can bring to producers. Uh, potentially a condensate solution that uh, that we're excited about and we want to continue to focus on to be able to, to grow that business. 
Um, so I, I think that we've made steady progress in terms of getting our uh, volumes up at, at RIPID, and, and we think that we can make continued progress in 2021. So that's, that's where we want to focus on optimizing those two platforms. And, you know, we got a question earlier about progress at the utilities. We still think that there's a lot of efficiencies um, and, and improvements we can drive there that, that'll help to drive shareholder value. Do you have any, like, are you able to, similar to what you did on, on the Petrogas Energy at, at that $30 million level, um, are you able to kind of quantify some of the other opportunities that you just mentioned? Well, no, not at this point. I mean, I, you know, we'd like to be, we, we'd like to focus, as Randy said a little earlier on the call, on the integration of Petrogas and capturing capturing those synergies. And once we, uh, once we have, once we assume operational responsibility of that, we would be in a better position to continue to update the markets on, on whether or not there's additional upside in terms of integrating that asset. Um, but we do see continued opportunities in, in Western Canada to grow volumes at our, at our existing facilities. Um, you might even finish with a question on, on the, the LDCs. And, you know, overarching, you made some comments earlier about trying or wanting to be in that self-funding position and that being difficult with how strong the growth is there as well as reducing risk and you know what are your thoughts about proposing uh, accelerated amortization for those businesses trading off the arithmetic that would moderate rate base but from that very strong number to something that would still be above average could you improve the cash flow profile and, and presumably de-risk with kind of some of the thoughts out there or concerns in the market around the existential risk to, to gas infrastructure businesses. Yeah. You know, I just want to clarify your, your opening comment. I, I don't think we ever said that we would be uh, stressed to self-fund the, the growth that we're seeing in our utilities at 8 to 10% rate-based growth. I think we've been able to, to do that this year, and, and when we look out over the next five years, we feel that we can continue to self-fund the, the growth that we're seeing within our jurisdictions being driven by ARP spending and, and obviously new meter growth. In terms of your broader question on, on uh, accelerating depreciation, I mean, each and every jurisdiction in the context of its rate case filings has depreciation studies that need to be updated. And, uh, and, and once we, we make those updates, uh, and if we think that the useful lives have to change as a result and it results in more depreciation recovery, we'll deal, that with, uh, we'll deal with that in each individual rate case that we file. Is there any change in thought, though, just at the management level that you know, the No, not at this point. Useful lives? Okay. okay, thank you. No. Your next question comes from Robert Cavalier with CIBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Hey, good morning, and uh, thanks for the presentation, particularly the comments you made about uh, uh, a corporate split. Uh, I really only have one question left at this point. You did point to, Randy pointed to the uh, strengthening um, curve with respect to uh, Asian propane um, and that export business. Uh, can we assume that you're going to continue to uh, uh, aggressively seek to toll the business, or is there a point at which it makes more sense to uh, the economics are strong enough to uh, keep the spot business and uh, hedge it? Hey, Robert, Randy's back. I'm back, so thank you for the question, uh, uh, and so I uh, apologize for you know, being cut off there for a bit, but to your question, I, certainly every company would like to eliminate risk from its portfolio, and, and that's what we're going to balance. You know, our primary approach will be to balance 
various linked um, you know, related tolling contracts with, with some hedge merchant activity that, that really provides upside for the company. You know, so our propane and, and butane export terminals, right, coupled with our storage, that creates optionality. So, you know, we'll plan to position the business to capture short-term arbitrage, right, to, to capture this option value and augment the revenues, you know, surrounding the export business. Uh, but at the same time, right, we're going to continue to toll and increase our tolling uh, to de-risk the assets because just like with RIPIT, we have 50,000 a day that we're going to be moving, and we have 80,000 barrels a day of capacity. So, again, there'll always be that uh, opportunity to continue to uh, you know, capture uh, short-term arbitrage uh, coupled with our, our increased tolling uh, over the next few years. Right. That's an understandable answer. Uh, now that you're back on the line, um, I want to get back to the corporate split and just one quick question. I just wondered if there were any observations or takeaways from the recent uh, DTE announcement. Yeah, you know what, it's, uh, DTE is an excellent company with, a, with an excellent uh, midstream uh, footprint. I think each, each company has, uh, you know, particular drivers uh, in, in their, uh, you know, structure, um, you know, moving forward. So it's, it's difficult for me to comment uh, particularly on, 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 on their approach. Um, but because I think we're a bit unique uh, in, in what we're attempting to accomplish. Um, but clearly, you know, consolidation is occurring. It's occurring in the upstream space. We think that's good, right? And that's the, we, we're very comfortable uh, in working with uh, some of the larger and major players. I think that's right in our, our, our sweet spot in terms of we know what it takes uh, to develop uh, these world-class uh, resources. And we have something uh, that we bring a value, right, to connect producers to, to valued markets. So you know, we'll continue to exercise that for us. With respect to the DTE and the Dominions, I think each one is a specific case on their own. Yeah, agreed. Thanks very much. Thank you, Robert. Before we move on to the last question, I would like to remind participants that if you have any further questions, simply press star and then the number one on your telephone. This last question comes from Elias Foscola with Industrial Alliance. Please go ahead. Uh, good morning. Um, I've got a couple questions to uh, ask. Um, first one is, uh, it, it's rather minor, but I just want to understand something. Um, in terms of seven and a half ships at RIPA for the quarter, can you confirm that that half ship was an operational issue? Um, I, I just find it to be a strange number. Sure, Randy or James, you want to address that specifically? Uh, it just uh, it wasn't operational. Uh, it wasn't an operational issue with our terminal. It was more logistics. Uh, we had some disruptions with our our, our supply chain, and so we we uh, we filled the the uh, half full of the ship, and then we uh, we deburthed, and then we brought it back to berth when we had enough product to to, to fill it up. Elias, okay, I, I appreciate that clarity, you know, yeah. So, Elias, I wouldn't mind just adding, though, to Randy Toon's comments that when we're, when we're loading ships, we recognize revenue when we transfer product from the tank onto the ship. So there are, there are going to be situations where we're not getting a full ship in a quarter, right, just based on the way we recognize revenue, because if, if, we're, if we're loading and, and we don't completely fill the ship by the 30th or 31st of every month, then some of that will slip into the next quarter. Okay, I, I appreciate that clarity. Um, the the, uh, the next question, 
and this will probably do with the utilities, and, and maybe this was answered, but maybe I didn't hear it quite correctly. Um, it was 10 to 11, 11 million of, uh, of cost reductions annualized um, or, or, or quarter over quarter. Um, so can, can we sort of draw the, the line that somewhere between 30 and, and 40 million is sort of the run rate number that uh, would happen off of that? It, it seems like a, a pretty impressive uh, piece of work. Yeah, I, look, I think it is a, a quite an impressive work. If you even look at the overall utility results year over year and the increase uh, that we've attributed, uh, even in the first and second uh, quarters as well, we've been you know, trending along those lines. And, and of course, you know, in terms of our return on, on equity, we have quite a bit of room and. That's part of our operational excellence uh, strategies going forward. So, you know, again, we're going to have to continue the, the effective and productive deployment of capital uh, in our ARP programs, uh, an accelerated pipeline replacement, and, and we would expect to continue to, to drive down costs. But thank you for the comment. It is. It's quite impressive what Blue and the team have, have been accomplishing. And while focusing, again, on improving customer service, uh, improving uh, the safety and reliability of the infrastructure, which is obviously our, you know, one of our key and most important drivers, uh, the safety and reliability. So as you continue to be, you know, put smart capital to work, um, you should continue to see improved efficiencies uh, on the cost structure. Okay. Uh, one last question uh, directed towards James, I guess. Um, I'm going to try to word this correctly. I understand on a consolidated basis we should see an improvement in, in credit metrics, which is debt to EBITDA. But understanding Petrogas is a separate entity uh, from the rest of Alta Gas and, and some of the regulated utilities. Uh, I, I think you said on the previous Petrogas call, you discussed this with the credit rating agencies. I just want to confirm that this isn't going to cause any stress uh, on the credit rating, given that you may understand the consolidated number, but we do have separate entities. I mean, our, our conversations with the uh, the rating agencies have been constructive for all the reasons that we highlighted on on the early earlier Petrogas call. If you look at our, our net debt to EBITDA metrics, they are improving as a result of this. But more importantly, the FFO to debt metrics are improving as well. In the past, we would only include distributions or dividends that we got from Petrogas into our FFO metrics. When we're consolidating, we're, we're obviously including the EBITDA from that subsidiary because we've got operational responsibility and. And, and we own greater than 51%. So we are treating it consistently with how the rating agencies uh, would treat this acquisition, and it would improve our, our credit met metrics, and we don't anticipate any issues uh, with the rating agencies as a result of that. Great. That was in it. Fact, uh, in, fact, uh, in fact, DBRS, just sorry, just to clarify, DBRS has already come out with uh, a report on, on the affirming the ratings. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Thank you. This concludes the Q&A portion of today's call. I will now turn the call back to Mr. McKnight. Thanks, Kenzie. And thank you, everyone, once again, for joining our call today uh, and for your interest in Alta Gas. As a reminder, the Investor Relations team will be available after the call for any follow-up questions that you might have. That concludes our call this morning. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, and you may now disconnect your phone lines.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big